0: the Athletic.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast.
2: the Fulhamish podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James and welcome to the show brought to you by the Athletic UK. And on the podcast today, we're going to be looking back at Fulham's 4-0 victory up in Nottingham as we slayed Forest. They may have been on good form, but Fulham came up and were very, very clinical. Three shots on target, four goals. Doesn't sound like Fulham at all, does it? And here to discuss everything that went down in the East Midlands yesterday is Adam Carson. Hi, Adam. Afternoon, Sammy. Don Betts. Hello, hello. And Drew Heatley. Hello, fellow Tories. Yes, we are all Tories that sit down in a neutral end and uh, rattling fan bases uh, as long as we can remember. Drew, you're sounding absolutely perfect on your new microphone <laughs> that you're, you're showing off to the world today.
1: Well, no, I wanted to feel like I was in the same room. So hopefully I, uh, I'm going coming in your ears nice and clear.
2: Exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's do some three word reviews from yesterday's win. Adam, you took a look through. So what were your favourites?
0: I did. So starting off with Luke Balshaw, we've got Mitros, Forest, Fire. Yeah. We've got Finn Babbage, Death Taxes and Mitrovic. is <laughs> definitely inevitable at this point in time. Uh, Paul Cooper's. Sheriff of Nottingham, Serif of Nottingham. Um, And then finally, Joe Kent's four goals for them. Channeling his inner Mark Corrigan.
2: Yeah. um, Drew, I I very much enjoyed the Instagram story, uh, which was peep show inspired as Fulham um, scored four uh, yesterday in the match. Um, Dom. Hello. Hello. It's been a busy uh, few days for you. You've been racking up the train miles, if that's an expression.
3: It's been a busy few months, really. I was I was thinking about it the other day. I was like, since the beginning of September, I don't want to know how much time I spent on planes and trains.
2: You are living the uh, the footballer, the football fan backbacker lifestyle.
3: Glasgow is four and a half hour train. I did an eight hour train from Warsaw to Bratislava. the a two and a half hour one from Budapest to Bratislava. Yeah, I, 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 what 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 way games we had? We've had well, Nottingham was two and a half each way yesterday. So, uh, yeah, spent a, a, a substantial amount of time on public transport.
2: Was the two and a half hour train yesterday worth it? Bit of a boring first half, uh, a brilliantly clinical second half. Fulham weren't amazing yesterday, were they? <laughs> Despite us winning 4-0 against the most informed side in the league.
3: It was the most underwhelming 4-0 win. <laughs> like, it was, it, it was great that we won 4-0, but it, it, we weren't leaving the ground as you feel like you should do after winning 4-0 away from home. You know, half time. Obviously, we 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 won it up thanks to Fulham legend Jed Spence's own goal, and then and then it was it was sort of turgid. Like neither team really created anything. I think I remember Forrest sort of having a shot at near post in the first half, but that was about it. And yeah, see, we were clin- we were clinical in the, sec- in the second half. I mean, three of our four goals were pretty much given to us by Nottingham Forest anyway. But yeah, I said it was it was a weird. It was, it was definitely worth two and a half hour train, even though that train did stop everywhere. You know, Luton and Luton Airport. You know, on, on on the way to Nottingham, I don't want to know how long that train journey up to. I think the same route was going up to Sheffield. I don't want to know how long that was taken. But yeah, yeah, it was worth it. You know, uh, three o'clock on a Sunday, bit of a, bit of a different kickoff time. I don't. I think the last Sunday away game sort of outside of London where you've had to travel, I want to say was that midday Sunday kickoff uh, away at Liverpool where, you know, their goal shouldn't have counted with the moving ball from Alisson. I can't remember... One obviously there's, there's, mm. there, was, obviously there was, there was COVID, so and I'm, I'm lockdown, so there was probably a few there. But yeah, it's intense. So it was a bit of a weird one going to an away game on a Sunday, but it was definitely worth it uh, coming back with four goals and three points.
2: And yeah, Drew Fulham didn't take long to get on the score sheet yesterday. Uh, as Dom said, it was it was a Jed Spence own goal, and once again. Fulham's NFL tactics with the block in the box seems to have worked. Forest players were fuming. Steve Cooper was bemoaning the referee because apparently he had told the referee to look out for it. I think it's a genius tactic because I cannot see what Dennis Doy does wrong there other than just be in the way and not in the way of he's actually blocking the run deliberately. He's just standing there. If you run into him, what what can you do?
1: it's a fantastic little tactical uh, bite-sized chunk that that Silva's been uh, implementing this season and it's not it's not just necessarily clever in the way in the idea that it is it's it's how we do it it's like you say like you could watch that I watched it so many times uh, after the game it was quite difficult to see from the stands because it was the other end and I was a bit low but on the replays afterwards it's really hard to see what Adoy's done wrong, but he knows what he's doing, but it's the way that he does it. You know, it's maybe taking, uh, taking a little tip from Tony Khan in wrestling, knowing how to fall. He does it so well, uh, <laughs> and and you can't tell. And, you know, I love that Cooper's getting salty about it. He said he told the referee to look out for it before the game. Tell your players to look out for it, mate. That's what you should be doing. Nothing wrong with it. Um, and we've got two or three from that, and it uh, it was great to... Uh, that it happened uh, so early on. And, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt that Mitro's mere presence in the box now terrifies people into making mistakes as well. Um, so it was a great way to open up the, the scoring in the day.
2: Yeah. And Adam, there was nothing else that really happened in that first half. Um, Wilson did hit the bar, but then it was ruled to be a foul anyway. And Lewis Grabben, um, Sent his uh, shot for three points over the bar, over the posts uh, on the stroke of half time. That was the best chance Forrest had, but it was a it was a drab first half, and um, well, there was nothing else to write home about apart from that goal.
0: Not really. It was it was kind of good that it was over. I remember a couple of people chatting saying, anyone watching this, and Dom saying, "You wish you weren't" type thing. And it, I absolutely agree. It was it was pretty boring, but at the same time, I was I was always kind of thinking I'd rather have a safe first half or we're winning one nil come out and then try and build on it in the second half and be behind and having to, uh, you know, try and chase a game. And to be honest, if they didn't have Lewis Grabban, you know, really misfiring that day as well, we, it probably could have been 1-1 and they just didn't create any chances against us. So it was kind of good to be in control. I think we'll come on to this, but Kearney does keep us in control of games quite nicely. Like the ball was ticking over a lot more, like smoothly than I've seen it in previous games. So I didn't really feel like they had as much of the ball.
2: Yeah, Dom, let's come on to TC. Uh, he replaced Harrison Reed in the middle, who uh, picked up that injury against Cardiff on Wednesday. And look, the Kearney-Seri axis was one of the famous uh, things that went wrong in that Premier League season, the first time that we went down under Jukanovic, Ranieri and Parker. I guess Nottingham Forest maybe isn't the biggest test that they will ever face as as a midfield duo, but it seemed to work okay yesterday. And I felt like they they had a measure of the game. I love seeing TC on the pitch. I think he really does gel the team together when he's on song. He clearly struggled towards the end of the match. He was blown out of his ass, and even he uh, said on his Instagram story uh, that last ten minutes was uh, was very very hard work for him, given how long he hasn't played a football match for. But overall, job done. I think tougher tests to wait.
3: Yeah, you speak about obviously when we spoke about it when we first came up in you know in well in seventeen eighteen and in the season in eighteen nineteen about could Kearney and Sarri play in the same team? And I think I think what it's showing is that I know, as you said, it was against a forest side who weren't firing in all cylinders as they had been under Steve Cooper's first few games. But maybe the reason it wasn't working back in eighteen nineteen is, obviously, it was at a high level. But also, the tactical system we were deploying them in was a lot different to the one we are now. We weren't having both of them sitting deep as two deep-line sort of playmaking-type midfielders. You'd have one ahead of the other, so he would, he would be playing in the 10 where sort of, you know, Wilson sometimes plays, but he, he sometimes comes out wide and I actually think he's a he's a better player out when he when he is out wide for us. But, you know, maybe maybe it is a system. I was slightly worried when I did see the team in the pub before before kickoff. I was like, oh, are we not playing a more defensive minded midfielder? But again in a championship when players like Kearney and Sarah are gonna have this much time on the ball, then it, it, it can it can work in our favour. And I think yeah, the mid, the midfield was it, I think in both teams it was fluent. I think, especially with Forest in that first half, it was like they'd get the ball from the halfway line sort of towards our 18-yard box, perfectly fine. And then it was their final ball and their final decision, which really let them down. I mean, obviously you spoke about Lewis Graham chance. There was also a chance when they got the ball on our left-hand side, got got inside there, and they they had a shot, but they completely blazed it wide uh, into the, into the Nottingham Forest crowd. So I think the the the, the team worked. It, it, you know, we weren't we weren't sort of threatened by. Not in the Forest at all all game, really. I don't remember Maric Rodak being forced into having to make a save, really, really all game. But as you said, half time went, 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 went 1 0. It wasn't exciting. And in the second half, you know, it said it was just a clinical performance. You know, if you look at the second goal, it's just comical. And I mean, Mitrich nearly misses it anyway. It, it gets pretty much laid laid laid, laid off to him. I think for the number twenty six and not a forest, and then he hits it. Um, obviously, it goes into the corner, but he could very easily drag that wide. <laughs> you know, it wasn't. He didn't exactly just place it into the bottom corner. So, but yeah, obviously that that gave us that gave us Tuna victory. And when that when I was just laughing because I was like, it, 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 it's, it it's comical defending. And then obviously with the third goal, obviously it's, it's good it's good play, good play from um, obviously Wilson into Cabana, And I don't think Bryce Amber's expecting it. Uh, to be hit as near post but um, I think yeah overall in the second half we sort of got uh, more of a stronghold in the game and we were sort of creating more more clinical attacks and in the first in the first half we didn't really create anything apart from the own goal which was created from that set piece but as you said I, I, overall I think it was it was job done and I think it's showing the, really the strength and depth our mid- midfield has I mean I totally I didn't realise that I started playing the football manager beta for the first time today, that we actually that we actually had Domingos Keener in, in the squad. I totally forgot about his existence. <laughs> after after his, um, yeah, a poor, a poor couple of starts obviously there's Chalabert to come back in as well. Who can play in the deep line positions because Ree's never going to be playing week in, week out. We know that. You know, Harris, uh, this season especially, we, we've seen that his fitness levels isn't exactly, he, he can play 40 games a season, but it, it's shown we can have other players who maybe we aren't expecting to play in the sort of the deep line role, that can do the job, and I think there was still there was still certain players um coming on who who we weren't expecting, and I also think we was going to see Canaseto back on the pitch because I think that's one thing that we have probably picked up on that if you're going to have someone like Harry Wilson on the right hand side, for example, and most and most old wingers, to be honest, they like they like to drift inside, and you and Dennis Odoye, what he does sometimes go forward is always going to be looking for the overlap and I think that is where we can really punish teams with will they'll be reoccupied with looking at Wilson uh, or, or Cabano who or, or whoever you know Cavallero, whoever cu- cu- coming inside there and then they can then then they won't be aware of Kennette going on the overlap
2: well, I think we can end the podcast there. Round up a lot of um, right? roundup of, uh, of yesterday's 4-0 win. Thank you for listening. Adam, can we have the podcast name? Let's come on to that second goal and the performance of Mitrovic. Dom, you crack me up. Um fifteen goals now in 14. a uh, little nugget that I picked up from the uh the not the top twenty podcast that I listened to earlier. He has by far and away the most shots of any striker per game in the championship. Four point seven. I think the next person is maybe like four point one. After that, it's three point five. The scoring rate he's on is unreal. Although yesterday, Drew the goals were kind of given to him on a plate Two goal, two games in a row where he he's literally just been, I mean, he's, he's a good enough striker as it is. But if you put it on a plate for him like that against Cardiff against forest, obviously it was a bit of a mix up where two forest players just ran into each other. He's just going to gobble them up. You think actually how many goals though he has kind of had gifted to him. I think back to that one against Huddersfield, still the strangest goal that I've ever seen. Um, he he's he is scoring goals off his own back. You know those those goals against QPR. I think a testament to that. But also he just seems to be in the right place at the right time. And and and, and he's a man, well, literally on fire.
1: Yeah, and it's a, it's a virtuous circle, isn't it? Because as I mentioned earlier, you know, he he strikes fear into you know as the song goes, your defense is terrified, and it actually proves out in games. Like you you know we've seen we've seen Fulham concede a goal. Or two, like the like the second one yesterday, two defenders running into each other. But I'm telling you now, they knew who was coming, and uh, and you know he forces players into making mistakes. Which and then you know, this is, I think the commentary said uh, on Sky, uh, looking back, you know he's not going to get many easier goals than than that one that he got. Um so it's sort of it really does sort of it is it is that sort of virtuous circle and it's fantastic, you know, look look at how many he's got so far and you know, he's only got, I think, eleven to go to beat uh the the tally he had last time he was in the championship and there's absolutely no way I mean he could he could be touching that total by the time we're putting up our Christmas tree at this rate. It's uh, it's a joy to see. Um, and you know, there's a really good uh, there's a really good piece on the Fulhamish website, say from Dan Cook, that talks about how uh, the, it almost is like the the summing up of the difference between Silver and Parker, in the sense that we are scoring goals in clusters, and you know, Cabano's goal three minutes later is uh is not just something that was isolated yesterday we we really do capitalize on uh teams once once we scored once they're sort of they've got this fight or flight response where they're trying to you know get back in the game we're just so ruthless the way that we don't give them any time and any chance whatsoever the fact that we uh I think it's uh, Dan says in six games a season we've scored two or more goals in the space of uh, twelve minutes or less. So you know when we score, uh, we'll get a second or a third. Uh, you know so quickly afterwards without giving teams time to breathe. I think he said there's uh, there's more than forty percent of our games so far this season. So. You know, it's not. It's the it's the anti. It's it's the antidote to parkable. You know, and uh, and we saw that again uh, on uh, on Sunday yesterday uh, with Cabano getting one just after, which ended the game as a contest. And it's just, uh, it's new Fulham, and it's it's you know, inject it directly into my veins, please, Maestro.
2: I guess it's kind of like the Barcelona tactic, but rather than for pressing, it's for goals, isn't it? The the most, the best time to try and win the ball back is when you've just lost it, right? Teams are on the back foot. They don't know where everyone is. They're a bit bewildered. That's the best time to try and launch. A press and actually similar to that when teams have just conceded, they're in a bit of shell shock. They're trying to work out, okay, shit, we've now got two goals to try and score. That's the best time to then try and like double up and make it three. And obviously shortly after we made it four. Um, talking of goals, a uh, great little thread on them. Um, uh, Tiff, the, uh, the the slightly strange Fulham message board that exists, but this was a particularly good post that I saw earlier Adam, uh, talking about Fulham's goal scoring. We've now scored 33 goals in 14 matches. I, like many others, have a bet on Fulham to get 100 goals this season and um, we're on track. We're still on track. We're only just on track, but we are there um, and if you look at t- this post looked at teams that are potentially Done this uh, beforehand. Um, Togana's team had 34 goals after 14 games. The following season in 01 02, Palace had 35 goals. Man City had 34 goals. After those, in the next season, no one has got more than 33, and only West Brom in 08 09 can match 33. And in fact, only seven other teams got past 30 goals from 14 games. However, only one got past the 100 goals mark and that was Keegan's Man City in 0102 who finished with 108 but they only had one more goal than Fulham at this stage. Um so thanks to the anonymous person that posted that on the um as I say the weirdest Fulham message board that occasionally strikes gold. Um can can Fulham get 100? I mean we just do seem we've got easier games in the pipeline obviously barring West Brom and then Bournemouth in a month. Beyond the realms of possibility, are we in fantasy land? Is this a hot streak?
0: I mean, if you would ask me with, let's, let's say, another manager in charge who was less attacking than Marco Silva, I'd say no chance that we're going to be able to keep this up. But the way that Marco Silva plays football, as we're talking about scoring goals and clusters, we don't. We, the reason we walked out of that game and said, oh, you know, it's a 4 0 win, but it didn't feel like it's because that's becoming normality for us. Now, if we we're actually consistently scoring two, three goals or more again, there's no reason that we shouldn't get to that 100 goal mark. It's also really interesting how we've probably got our goals. I know Mitchell Rich is on fire and scoring for fun, but everyone across the team is still chipping in with a fair amount of goals. So it's not like one striker is the only reason we're scoring all of these. It is the full attacking play that goes with it. Um, one thing I'd like to see to ensure that we do get to that mark is probably our midfield, uh, like deep line midfielders, chipping in with a couple of goals So well. Now we've got Tom Kearney, you know, not really a deep lineman midfielder, but shipping in with a couple as well. Maybe Seri, uh himself scoring a couple throughout the season will probably push us towards that 100 goal mark. or definitely within the realms of possibility. Let's not forget as well, we've got a January transfer window coming up and there, there will still be um, some replacements or reinforcements coming in. I'd anticipate in that window that could push us um, even more goals.
2: Yeah, indeed. There's a lot of um, players on two and three goals um, uh, across the team, but it does feel like uh, assists and uh, and goals do seem to be coming from a really wide ranging um, set of areas. And one of those uh, yesterday, Don, was Niskins Cabano. Nice to see him get on the score sheet. For once, it wasn't from a free kick. It was uh, from open play uh, for Niskins. He started and ended the move and just love to see it. That, was, that must have been surely the highlight of, of yesterday was that third goal
3: yeah it was because it was the goal that wasn't just given to us by by the, the not on forest team um but no it's great to see nissi's go on And I, I said it i've said it every time since he's joined the club he, he's never been given an opportunity and this season he has and because every time he has come into the side you know he, he he's always performed and he but he's never he's never been trusted by previous managers whether that's been you know jacanovich whether that's been you know Ranieri, whoever that's been Parker. So I, it's great to see him get this trust from Marco Silva and and show why I've always shouted his praises. I I said this season that he's better than Knocker He's better than Cavallero. And some people were like were were laughing. I was like, but he is. He, he, you know, I think I think when we when we got both in the championship last under Parker, he scored more goals than Anthony Knocker and Anthony Knockout probably played twice as many games that season. I think mean, Knockout only scored two or three goals in in that Championship uh, playoff-winning season. So it's great to see him get on a score sheet. And you know he's 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 obviously he's obviously a fan's favourite. Um, and you know because he's, he's 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 he seems a lovely bloke. He's he's always he always puts hundred and ten percent in. He's never his his work rate sort of never is never lacking. And it's great to see him sort of adding sort of the end product to the sort of hard work that a lot of Fulham fans see.
2: Yeah. Um in in terms of how many players have got goals and assists by the way, it's 11 different players have scored a goal this season in the league by the way. This is not including the the cup. And 12 different players have assists. That is, that is very, very, very good. Uh, and one of those players that picked up uh, another assist yesterday was Dennis Adoy for the penalty. It was a Stonewall penalty. There's still something, Drew. I'm still not convinced about Mitrovic taking penalties. I mean, Bryce Samuel went the right way, didn't get there. It goes in fine. The Birmingham penalty, I was like... It's it's I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just because he's missed so many, and it's it's subconscious. He keeps scoring, and it it adds up the goal tally. So it's it's okay. But I I don't know what it is with Mitro on on a penalty. I'm not 100 percent confident ever.
1: No, I agree, and you know I don't want to trigger anyone with the phrase "fine margins," but with penalties, it really is, isn't it? You know, he got it in the right corner; he got it right in the corner. Sorry, the goalkeeper guessed it right. And you know, in any other day, that could, that could, you know, be tipped wide. And 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 it just seems to be going for us at the moment. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not convinced by by our penalties in in general. I haven't been for years. I'm sure we're all exactly the same on that front. Um, but when it's going for Mitch Mitrović at the moment, you know, everything he touches turns to gold. Um, but you yeah, know, it was a nice, a nice. Way to round it off, I think, as well. You know, when you Don mentioned earlier, Tete coming on and Adoy going off. Adoy, you know, he made help make the first goal. He won the penalty for the fourth. But that's going to signal the end of his little mini run in the side. Now you'd expect Tete now to to take his place back. But you know, look, Dennis Sadoy came in and he had more than one uh, performance that made us go, "Oh, you know what? You know he's had he's had a really good game there, and he's 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 really equipped himself well in that little run." So I just wanted to, I think it'd be remiss not to mention his uh, his contribution, seeing as I think now he'll be back on the on the bench for the foreseeable. But uh, he capped off another good afternoon, I think, for Dennis.
2: Yeah, ever the professional. Look, we, he's had some mixed performances in there. He he had a little bit of a, a nightmare at Coventry as did everyone. He was um partially responsible for the QPR goal, but also in that run there have been really good moments. Uh, he scored up at Birmingham. That was that was a great moment and uh picks up an assist here and there as well. So yeah, as you say, you imagine Tete's going to come back in, but fair play to uh for Dennis for, for doing a really solid professional job i think the word professional is the is the absolute key is to, to what dennis has done there right we're going to take a break i think that does it for the forest review we've got a stack full of questions from instagram so we're going to get into them next part two of the fulhamish podcast sammy james here i'm joined by anna for carson hello drew heatley hi and don betts hello hello Right, we're going to questions from Instagram today. We normally do questions from Twitter. Which I think nice, sometimes nice to mix it up. We have a lot of people following us over on the Instagram and uh, I think a different kind of person follows us on the Instagram. So nice to venture over there once in a while. We do tend to do most of our business on, on Twitter, but it's definitely nice to uh, mix it up every uh, every now and again. So let's go for... A bit of a controversial start. This one from Hamish Perry saying, Is Seri overrated? He has great moments, but his passes don't often find their man. Anyone no. want to pick this one up? I've gone for a, I've gone for a strong start.
0: Uh, I'll, I'll go. Let's go back to the bird app. Like, <laughs> let, let's, let's go. A question now. Uh, Seri, Seri's passes have been absolutely sublime for the majority of the season. The problem is, is that because he, he does so many of them, I mean, he, had, he had like a 93% pass success rate against Nottingham Forest. The problem is, is because he's that... He, other than Kearney being back now, I think he's one of those only players that will actually try the impossible pass. And if you continue to try some of the impossible passes, they're not going to come off every single time. But by doing that, he's definitely got, you know, some assists from passes that no one sort of coming. Um, yeah, I, I don't agree with that at all.
2: The only thing I think with Seri that... Not necessarily worries me, but I think is is a point to prove is like, can Seri play like this in the Prem? Can he actually go up the level and be the same imperious player? You know, look, obviously we're not going to go score 100 goals in the Premier League. He's going to find it tougher. But are there games in the Premier League where actually he can kind of state his authority on matches like he does now? That's the only question mark for me. I think he's playing fantastically. And as you say, look, he tries the impossible occasionally. Look at that pass for Deca Reed's um, third against QPR. Occasionally, you're not going to make passes like that. But I definitely think that just doing it in the championship is not complete vindication is not the completion of the story arc I think if he can play like this in the Premier League then yeah we do have a, um, a Hollywood blockbuster uh, on, on our hands with, with Jean-Michel Serie. next question from Patrick Joseph Brown and I, I, I forgot to mention this in part one so thank you for reminding me he said anyone see the Wilson dive looks like a free kick to me I thought from the coverage that it was a fairly clear free kick I didn't think it was a dive um, I must admit I didn't forensically study it either. I do wonder if he's gonna be one of those players that has a reputation that precedes him. I, I don't know why. He I don't think that he's got clear evidence of, of diving, but he does just feel like one of those players that referees are occasionally just gonna go, nah mate, you you you're trying to you're trying to call me out of one.
3: Yeah, because on on the highlights I've seen, I haven't actually seen a replay of, of the incident itself, but uh, in the moment, in the ground, I didn't think it was a dive. I sort of the wet, the like the, there was no need for him to dive there. If he was dark he was sort of going away from goal, you could maybe understand why something like that would pop into his head. But he was, he, he'd beaten his man, and he was going through sort of towards goal. So for me, it looked just looked like a free kick, and I didn't, I didn't really see what 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 the referee saw in it to be an obvious dive. Obviously, it he could have it could have been a situation where the referee didn't think it was a foul or a dive, but. To think it was it wasn't a foul it was actually uh, Wilson's intentionally gone down there and ha- there hasn't been any sort of contact then I I, I I couldn't really see it from in the in the ground personally but obviously that's the only angle i've really seen it i haven't seen a replay of it but for me in the moment it definitely definitely didn't seem like a dive to me uh
2: next question from Teddy Bielby says do you think Carvalho will get back into the starting 11 when he's back obviously um we don't really know what's happening because Harrison Reed dropped out, so kind of TC went deep. Do we think that TC gets in above Carvalho in the 10? Um, you know, Wilson and Decadova Reed have kind of been switching that position in, in recent weeks. Does, does Carvalho still get in? Uh, I can't forget what quality he brought us. Obviously, that situation, now TC is back, doesn't feel as desperate as it, as it did back in September,
1: Drew. Yeah, well, we we were we were bemoaning the fact that we were relying so heavily on Carvalho. You know, just a couple of games ago, I think for me, it does come back in and it gives us more options out wide. You know, obviously, we talked a lot about how Harry Rawson's naturally more comfortable on the right, so it kind of takes away that sort of need to rotate. Because I think the fact that we're doing that shows that we're trying to fill the gap that is naturally filled by Fabio Carvalho. Um, you know, I think more than one of us is is trying to figure out what exactly is going on. There's talk about the toe, the the COVID. You know, this. Everything that's going on, contracts. Who knows? But you got to think that he's going to be back. Uh, you know, if not for uh, the West Brom game, then then hopefully Blackburn or, or Peterborough. Otherwise, you know, there'll be serious questions asked because it's a, it's a long time, and I know toes are no joke. But yeah, I think in short, I think he does go back in. I think we're still. You say as you say, it's not as desperate as as it was. Partly because results are also going our way, but we're still uh, filling that gap, keeping it warm from it feels like uh, with the way that we're we're changing and chopping and changing it every so often.
2: Ald Wimber, a lot of consonants in there, with with a equally um tongue twistery question actually. Um he says, Would you like to see Reed and Seri holding with Kearney at ten? Or Kearney and Seri holding with Decadover Reed at the ten? What would you prefer?
0: I was thinking before the podcast about this about how can you actually try and fit Tom Kearney, Harrison Reed and Jean-Michel Seri into the same midfield in any way. And I think the answer is uh, going to be, whilst we're in the Championship, at least, rotation. Um, I don't think that we are going to have... I think the only player that will start the majority of those games would probably be Jean-Michel Seri. But um, I'd quite happily switch him out for a Harrison Reed if Tom Kearney's playing, because he still gives us that creativity. My favourite, you know, let's say, midfield three as part of that um, would probably be um, Seri... Um, probably playing that sixth role with Harrison Reed, He seems to be uh, looking a lot more um, energetic going forward, I think is the right words about this. He actually seems a lot more dangerous. And then I'd have uh, Tom Kearney in at, uh, at 10 for me because it actually then allows us to rotate our wide men as well. At the minute, when you have Deca Dover, Wilson and Cabano playing every single game, that does mean that you know there is less to bring on. Whereas if you've got someone fresh to be able to bring on as part of those um, attacking options... I think that's only really happening when we've got someone in like Kearney or Carvalho at the 10.
2: Yeah, particularly with Cavalero injured. And I know no one's massively missing the input of Cavalero at the moment, but, you know, our, our bench yesterday, there there was literally no recognised winger off the bench. If one of them had picked up an injury, I'm sure we could have rotated it and put on on and put one of them on the wing, but it's still not ideal. It, it's always exciting to have a, a fresh winger on the uh, on, on the bench and an Anthony knockup. Nowhere to be seen at uh, seemingly at the moment. Uh, this is a debate that I'd like all three of your opinions on. This is a fantastic question and and it's entering this realm now. Harry Watkins, has Mitro overtaken Saha as our best ever striker in brackets recent era? So let's kind of not go into the, the Gordon Davies of the world, but recent era striker. How close is Mitrovic to Saha? Saha kind of retains that legendary status. He's that retro name from twenty years ago. I still think maybe technically the best striker, but actually it, there's so many facets to, to this question. So I'll start with you, Dom. Where, at what point does Mitro overtake
3: him? When he does what Saha did for us in the Premier League, I think I think is where you've you've got to leave it. I I, don't, I wouldn't put him above Saha in regard to you know, who is a better striker. I don't, I, I don't think Mitrich I'll find, I'll find, I think it's it's hard for him to get, a, get, get above Saha, how good Saha was for us when he first came to the Premier League. But who knows what happens if we get promoted this season, what Mitrich could do in the Premier League next time. Because, you know, in our first season up, it's not like he had an awful season. I think he got, was it 11 or 12 goals in the Premier League that year? Yeah. And I think he got two or three last season, but, you know, he hardly, he hardly played last year. So, I think in regards to who's actually the better striker, I don't think Mitrovic is near Saha at the moment. I think that Saha was just technically so such a better striker. But in regard to being loved by the fans, I think you, that's a different argument to be had. I think in regard to when it becomes who's more of a fan's favourite, you could argue Mitrovic is getting to that level. But in regard to the actual level of striker between the two, I don't think he's that close to Saha because Saha was just simply so good. And you know, if you look at what Sahar you know as achieved in his career after he left further as well i think that 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 shows a level that he was at
2: i mean obviously um drew you did uh, grow up watching gordon davies on the terraces um, <laughs> <laughs> um no seriously what's your what's your thoughts on this uh, debate because it, it's it's something now i think with mitrovic being so good this season that he starts He's starting to, you know, break records and get up scoring charts. In terms of recent era, it, it's starting to become quite significant the amount of goals he's scoring.
1: No, absolutely. I think for me, it, you know, so I agree with Dom in terms of like, uh, you know, in terms of where he's loved. He, he, definitely is probably there, or if not surpassed, especially with the fans who don't remember Sahar so much. But for me, Sahar was obviously he had that blistering pace and that excitement. And Mitrovic is a slightly different striker to to, to that, but. I would say for Mitrovic to surpass Sahar, he has to do. Uh, he has to win the champ. Uh, he has to win the championship. Uh, that's what Sahar did. That was significant. He got us up as champions. I think in the Premier League, he scored eight in his first season, five in his second, and thirteen halfway through the third, and and, and fucked off to Man United. And he te- and you know when you ask Louis Sahar, you know who did you play for in your career? He says you, Man United in Everton. He, you know he doesn't. We're we're a mere footnote. So I think in the Premier League, he didn't necessarily do that much more than Mitrovic did in his in his full season in the Prem. I think, uh, or, or certainly the first one. Sorry, second one. <laughs> we won't talk about that one. Um But. I think for me, he has to win the championship, and if he can do that this season while firing uh, thirty plus goals, and he's done for me. He's done exactly what Zahar did, and he he's already he's already got my heart. To be honest with you, Alexander Mitrovic, to me, having seen both uh, their entirety at the club, seeing both of their runs uh, all together, uh, Mitrovic is already ahead. But in terms of you know objectively, I think he has to he has to match that and and lift the trophy come May.
3: If you ask if you ask a lot of people now to compare Thierry Henry to Mohamed Salah, right? A lot of people are just gonna are gonna say Thierry Henry, and I think I think it is always hard to compare a current someone who, who someone who's still playing for football now and playing. If we're looking at this example here, who's still playing for Fulham now and compare it to someone whose Fulham career is over. I think it it it, it always is hard, and, and nostalgia always seems to override someone's sort of current form and current ability. I, I always I've, I've, I always felt like that that's that, that's that sort of that sort of being a factor. But as as Drew as Drew said that. I think it's because of what type of striker Saha was, maybe, that is that is that is a reason why some people will have him in such high regard. But yeah, I think in regard to being loved by the fans, I think we're, we're me and Drew both agree there. So he's sort of he's getting to, to that Saha type of level now.
0: Um, Adam? Yeah, it's, it's hard to talk what the two lads have said here, but what I would say is that with Mitrovic it's it's very easy at the minute this season, when we are loving him, scoring as many goals as he is, to actually see past that and actually you know, I can't remember. I was, I was a lot younger when I was watching Sahar playing football. But just when Mitrovic does score a goal and it just feels inevitable, and I would say the inevitability of Mitrovic scoring goals is probably what could put him ahead if he continues with it. It's also probably the number of seasons he's been playing with us. If he continued for a couple more seasons at the same rate as well, um, continuing to get game time, it's that consistency almost becomes a bit more of a club legend just because of longevity out of the amount of games he's played.
2: Uh, next question comes from a couple of people. Uh, Jimmy Goodrich asks this. What a great name. And also AMC Graorty It's much harder to read the names on Instagram. I will uh, I will say that for the whole strategy um, because people's usernames are mad. But they both asked, do you think there are any areas that we need to strengthen in the January window? Um, feels mad to be asking that question. It's end of October. There's still two clear months until January. But... Early doors, Dom. Is there a is there a you know a position maybe that you think we could? I guess also this slightly depends on where we are in January. If we're ten points clear, that's a complete game changer. To if we're third or fourth,
3: um, I'd say left back. I'm still not convinced by Robinson or Brian. <laughs> I'm not. I think they're both they're both they're both a liability at times, and I think. If we were to get promoted, it it'd be one of the first positions I'd be looking to improve in, um, in the left back area. Because although we both, I, I I think Robinson this season, I don't think's been that good. I think Brian actually has probably been the the better of the two this season. But they still they still get caught. You know, we saw we saw. I know with the you know, Lyndon Dykes goal, you know it it does come from a board, But Joe Brian still sort of gets gets caught, gets caught. And I just think some sort. I just think that left back area has been a been a sort of. It's probably been a trouble area for us since Paul Kucheski left, if we're being perfectly honest. In January
2: though, would you make that would you would you look yeah. to that'd be your thing going I could maybe I could understand next summer, particularly with promotion. But yeah, January, that's quite that's I mean, what would we do? We'd have three of them. Like, yeah, but if I'm about. comparing
3: it to goalkeeper, Rodak and Rodak's fine. Right back, I'm happy with Kenetete. centre backs, you got you got you got Tim reeman Tossing who I'm happy with. The midfield, you've got Harrison Reid, Seri, Kearney. Carvalho out wide. I'm, I'm happy with Cabana. I'm happy with Wilson. I'm happy with Bobby Decker over Reid. I don't mind Cavallero Cavale- having a bit part to play, and then he got Mitrich up top. But like in regard to a first team position, there's there's probably I've, I've, there are other positions in regards to our squad and backup wise, I probably would like to improve. But in regard to an actual position in the first team who's starting left back for me is the weakest area.
2: Yeah, fair enough. You've uh, you've you've made your case well. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna protest. Uh, anyone else to the floor for this one?
1: Yeah, I would uh, like to step in because I think that we really need to be uh, clever when it comes to January. Uh, you know, we the same problem over and over again is our is our sort of lateness to the party in terms of uh, oh you know, summer transfer window you when we go promoted, oh, it's playoffs, you know, we've got a short window, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I know it's probably a bit asking a bit too much of the club to to be uh, as forward of planning as this, but I think we need to be making signings for next season with an eye on next season. You know, Wolves did it when they were, uh, you know, they were top, but, you know, look, we all know where we want to finish this season. We all know it's top two or bust this season. And I think, you know, we look like we're going to we're gonna do that. So we need to start looking ahead to the season the season after, um, you know, we need to give ourselves two windows, essentially, uh, to steal a march on and and not repeat the same mistakes that we've been doing. You know, we're happy with Tim Ream this season. Absolutely. I'm, You know, I'm not going to criticise him. He's not going to be our first choice centre-back next season. We need to start looking and planning straight away uh, with the idea of next season. And these are professional football players. They should understand that this is going to be the way that we do things. It won't be, by the way. Let me caveat that. We'll, we will we'll probably get, you know, another of a backup striker or something, uh, even though Munich comes on for ten minutes a game. Um, but that's <laughs> that's probably what we end up doing. But I think it's it is really important that uh, January, and I think um, I hope we treat it with the with the importance that it that it demands. But I, I have a feeling we might not.
2: Yeah. Uh, And this is where the director of scouting thing comes into. I realized that I promised it to be in last Thursday's podcast uh, with Peter and Jack, and then we didn't get into it. It will be in this Thursday's podcast with Peter Rutzler. What is the latest going on there? But that's exactly what we want that director of scouting to be there for someone that's looking ahead to next summer's transfer window now in October That's what their job is to do. Planning for all eventualities. What if we win the playoffs? What if we win promotion? What if we don't win anything? You know, that's what someone's there to do. And I'm sure there's, there are people at the club doing that, but that's the point of the director of scouting role. And the statement that seemed to come out at the bottom of the FST notes, which was effectively, oh yeah, things seem to be going all right. We don't need a director of scouting. I'm just, I feel like I'm watching a car crash in six months time. I'm like this. is all, And look at the look at the misery that's going on in the Premier League right now for teams like Norwich. I was going to say for Watford until they banged five past Everton. But like, it's all well and good now. We've beaten Forest. We're all having a lovely time. I'll probably be able to press the horn again in a few weeks when we go top of the league. But we're going to be in this situation in a year's time next October where we're all fighting with each other and we're all. Um, buying planes to go over Craven Cottage like having a go at Tony Khan because it's all going to happen and we're seeing it now look at this director's scouting decision and from the outset I just couldn't believe my eyes when I read that as I say we'll get more from Peter on on Thursday because he's a little bit more in the know than we are but just from a fan's point of view I I thought it was nuts Um, Adam I can see you nodding along to this
0: Well, I was going to say, like, it's exactly what Drew was alluding to. Everything, like, if you're planning a business out, you plan a year in advance. You look at your team, you say, you know, where's this person going to be? You know, where are we going to be as a business? And football is a business at the end of the day, especially when it comes to the ingoings, outgoings. They are just assets. And whilst we have, you know, emotional attachments to them, at the end of the day, we know what happens when players get older. And also, we can see from their previous history exactly how things are going to play out. Now, looking at danger positions, things like centre-back, if we're looking at the fact we have Tim Bream, we have Terence Congolo, we have Alfie Morson, we have Michael Hector, and some have been tried at that level before and it hasn't worked out. If we're not already planning towards next summer and looking towards that in January, then I don't really know what we're doing. It's such short-termism from the club that it's just thinking, oh, everything seems to be going okay. What should we do on the pitch at this moment in time? And I think, to give credit to the club, we've done relatively well in the short term and looking at each season as it comes it's just the long-term aspect and all of the best teams that have been building towards us have been building for years to get to the position that they're in uh so yeah it really does annoy me that the club have taken this decision to you know halt their search
2: yeah um Drew, serious question here from Jack Walker, 74. He says, when will the accusations of money laundering be addressed? Um, (laughs) If you haven't seen this, we've we've referenced this a couple of times. There was a bit of a weird tweet from a Nottingham Forest fan yesterday who, for some reason, Twitter thought a good idea to give him a blue tick for whatever crap he does, said, being a Fulham fan is bleak. Imagine having a neutral section at your ground, we don't and the reason that we had it was for um pretty much logistics but anyway imagine being resigned to swapping divisions with norwich every season well i guess maybe staying in the championship for eternity like nottingham forest sounds like a much better idea imagine sitting down in the away end we weren't apart from maybe a few old people at the front um no offense but like they're entitled to imagine being a money laundering front from the conservative party okay mate uh drew your thoughts
1: Well, it's just it's just that northern mentality, isn't it? Of everyone down south is a toff, and and you know has pictures of Boris Johnson on their bedroom wall. Look, you know the only thing that he said that was even remotely accurate is that I, you know I have a deep lying fear that we're we're becoming the Norwich of the capital. Now, I, if we can do address what we did in the previous question, we might avoid that. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those things, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I said it at the beginning of the pod, and I really I'm glad that we did reference the tweet because uh, you know I don't want to be uh, tired of that brush, but you know. People, you know, vote how you want. We don't, I'm not going to get into that. But, uh, yeah, it was a bit funny. I do find it amazing how uh, how Twitter dishes out its blue ticks ever since I saw Clopaholic get verified. Uh, you know, just blows my mind. But there we go. Uh, yeah, Forest, bit salty, weren't they? But I suppose they did lose 4-0 at home, and that's, you know, that's not a good way to end your weekend. So...
2: Yeah, and uh, just a weird pop our away fans, which Dom, I thought, you know, we took, we we did the podcast a few weeks ago about the fans, and and I said in a podcast recently that I thought actually QPR and Cardiff was much better. I thought it sounded decent enough at Forest yesterday. Is it Galatasaray? No. Is it okay? Yeah.
3: Yeah, I think like, I, I it just there seem there seems to be this weird thing, especially with any team north of London, who seem to get annoyed about. Fulham mainly probably because we have more money than most of these clubs, so we, we can we can buy players they can't. They get annoyed because just because we're not four thousand bouncing Northerners every five seconds, like it's just I, I, I it's just something I just don't care about anymore. It might be something I got bothered about maybe six years ago, seven years ago, but like it, ever since we've been in the Championship, because it never it never really would in in the pre in the Premier League it'd be like us, Wigan, Blackburn, and maybe Bolton. Who, wouldn't, who would not bring like 500 fans away from them. But that's because we all had terrible away records. So no one had any confidence in us winning the away game. And, but I feel like ever since we come down to the championship and we played the clubs such as like Sheffield Wednesday at Leeds and Nottingham Forest, you know, teams who were good back in the 70s and 80s and haven't had any success since. I think that it just, seems, it just seems to frustrate them that little old Fulham are doing better than them. I don't I think there's any more to it really. Yeah.
2: I I I agree that there's room for improvement at home, but it's a way it's fine. We do it our we do it our way. Yes, we don't have a Fathers for Justice banner like the Palace fans, but you know, we, we do it in a Fulham way. I think our
3: way for sport is absolutely fine. It's a lot better than it, when I started going week in, week out home away back in that sort of 2012, 2013. You know, there's a there's a totally new sort of generation of fans who actually want to follow the team away from home. I think if you looked up the average age of our weight sport back in sort of 2012, comparing it to 2021, it's, 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 probably mu- it's, probably, it's probably dropped by about 20, 30 years.
2: Yeah, it's all right. This guy, Tom, isn't on a dartboard in my, um, in my kitchen. It's absolutely fine. I haven't, been, um, I haven't been rattled by it at all. Uh, final one, uh, uh, speaking on away things, um, Adam, I'd like a rating out of 10 for this idea. Uh, Datrix says, uh, please can we um, adapt to the fluid Aite just can't get enough chant for Kenny Tete? I think that tricks onto a winner here. Tete.
0: Yeah, agreed. I think to be honest, we need to we need to repurpose a load of our songs for some of the. Uh, I
3: mean, it's what we're great at. We're great at recycling songs. Like <laughs> yeah. we're, we're experts. Yeah. We're, ex- we're experts
0: at it. Just keep recycling those. But yeah, Kenny Tete does deserve a song. Hopefully, maybe that will come our way if he gets back in the first team. Um, you know, ahead of the the next game.
2: Recycling clappers, bad. Recycling chance, good. Right, we'll take a break there and we'll have a quick look ahead to West Brom on Saturday. (laughs) Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here with Adam, Dom and Drew. Um, So, big game coming up on Saturday. We'll have a full preview uh, with myself, Jack and Peter later in the week. Uh, Second versus third in the table. Uh, And Adam, this feels like not our first real test of the season we've had some we've had some definite tests and uh we've not come through all of our games uh with flying colors this season but this is this is a really really tough game and the first one where i'm going into thinking we are favorites but this is this is not clear cut like it has been in every other match so far this season
0: it'd be pretty interesting to see how uh, marco approaches this game as well you know does he change anything other than uh, obviously the right-back situation, does he actually um, try and play a, a deep line midfield out of this game uh, somehow to actually hit them on the break? I'm not sure how he approaches this, but it's definitely going to you know, set the bar as to where we're at this season. Uh, we know that we've got some of our best results uh, against those maybe slow, slightly lower in the league and we've struggled against you know, the likes of Coventry, but I am interested as to, to how this game's going to go. It's exciting to see um, really how we come out of this because, as you say, it's the first real test that we face this season. I think if if you do, there's two two ways this can go. If you do go and beat West Brom, it really puts us in pole position uh, for looking like we can crack on from here towards Christmas. If we don't manage to, though, it's just how do we manage that um, going forwards?
2: Dom, uh, we're going to come up against Valball. I think they call it Valball, don't they? Um, Valerian Ishmael's slightly weird uh, style of play, which often involves um, sticking it miles into the air. Um, and lots of long throws. It's it's direct football, but because it's not by uh, an English manager named Neil or Mick, it's kind of revered as her uh, cultured long football.
3: Yeah, I think an interesting point about West Brom, though, is although they're high up in the table, they're not like us who've been scoring goals for fun. I think they've only won three games a season by more than one goal. And obviously that was their most recent game, Oh, um, Cardiff doesn't count because everyone beats Cardiff. Um, and then I think it was when they battered Sheffield United early on the season when Sheffield United had that terrible start. But all their games have sort of been, they, I think they're 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 a the run of draws uh, beginning of September. But uh, they all the wins sort of been like a one nil or a two one. But they've not been doing like what we've been doing, and you know, putting four past QPR, putting four past Nottingham Forest. Like it, it hasn't been like that. So I think I I think they're not going to come here and try, put us against it and be running at some causing problems. I think they will have a slightly more cautious approach than maybe some people are expecting. But it is, it will be a tough game. But I think this is really, really a sort of a marker to see where we are really because we've, we, we have had some great results. But I said, when we, when we're not on it, we can be absolutely terrible. Like we were against Coventry and we were against Blackpool. And I'm not saying it's going to happen on Saturday, but I said, this is, this game is definitely going to be that marker. But as you can see, they're not, they're not like us who are going to try sort of once they score one, they're going to score two, three, and four. They're going to be quite happy, in with with the lead with the lead they've got. Obviously, they play they play obviously a three at the back formation with wing backs and then a sort of a front three. I think on the weekend it was Hugh Gill, Phillips, and uh, Carlin Grant, and Carlin Grant's definitely a player. I think we should be most most wary of. You know, on the weekend he's coming sort of from a wide position and getting through and goal and scoring. But yeah, I think. This, as said, this is this. I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing sort of where we are against one of the much better teams in this league. You know, I think it's quite obvious that us, West Brom and Bournemouth, are sort of in in our sort own sort of separate mini league ahead of the others.
2: Yeah, um, Drew, this would open up a four point gap to West Brom um, if we can win. And then you look at our November that we have. I I think there's plenty of winnable games in November, plenty of teams that are towards the bottom of the league. Maybe Blackburn um, stands out as as maybe the toughest match uh, of the lot. Um, So, yeah, a, a win, I think, would be season defining, I reckon.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a huge game, but it's one that I feel like we're more than capable of winning. I think we need to lean into the way that we've been playing in the last few months. We're full of confidence. We're brimming now, you know, last few weeks even. Sorry, we, we know we've had a few blips, but we're, we're confident right now. We're in a great vein of form and I think we need to lean into that. And, and we're more than capable of beating this West Brom side, I think, judging from what I've seen so far. And you're right, if we can get a gap between us and West Brom and then into November where there are plenty of winnable fixtures... We want to get ourselves in a good position when we face Bournemouth at the beginning of December, and that's the one where you know we're looking up uh, at our opponents, and you know I, you know to quote Keegan, I'd love to beat them, uh, but so, <laughs> for me it's the it's the priming for a, 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 a really important November. Um, but I don't think we should fear West Brom. I think we should we should lean into the the the, the, the confidence that we've got right now.
2: Yeah, cancel all your plans. If you didn't know that uh, the Fulham Bournemouth game um, has been moved from the fourth of December on the Saturday to the third of uh, December, uh, the Peter Ruts the Derby, as we call it here on Fulhamish, seven forty-five Friday night. That is going to be an unbelievable game. I'm already excited. All right, that should do for the podcast today. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, last thing we need to do is name the podcast. Adam, as you're in charge of the uh, three WRs, as we. Call them. What did you go for?
0: I'm going to go for Paul Cooper's Serif of Nottingham.
2: Very, very good. Uh, a deserved nod for a wonderful man, a wonderful player. Um, good on John mckel Seri. Okay. Thank you for listening today. And thank you to my guests, Alan Carson. Thank you. Cheers, Sammy. Don Betts. Thank you. No worries. And Drew Heatley. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Uh, I was looking um, the other day at. Uh, Apple podcasts. And I, I, I don't know if people leave reviews for podcasts anymore, but we haven't had one in a little while. So if you listen on Apple podcasts, you've got an iPhone, um, you're not with the Android gang, then, um, do give us a review on there. I imagine it helps. I- Don't know why else, but give us a review on there. And of course, you can listen Ad Free on The Athletic at any time. Though That would be the much better thing to do. Um, You can also leave comments on The Athletic. You know, we'd just like to hear what you think of what we say. So do get in touch. Uh, And of course, there's all the traditional ways as well. Email, Twitter and Instagram, which has been a a source of great questions today. So uh, have a good week. Myself, Jack and Peter will be back later in the week. But until then, Molly whites.